I'm excited about this fourth week of teaching, winning the battle in your mind. But first, I just want to remind you uh, next weekend is our live virtual event with the U.S. Surgeon General, where we'll get a chance to ask him tons of tough questions around uh, the challenges uh, with the vaccines. And we have been working, me and my team, we've been working around the clock. God has blessed us to put together a stellar uh, national team of religious leaders that will be driving those questions. We've got over 40 uh, congregations and faith communities that's partnering with us all around the country. Hundreds of people have already registered for the event. We're looking forward to it. Let me just tell you why this is personally important to me. I get uh, how it can be so confusing to people. Uh, around what to believe and what not to believe. The politics and the misinformation, all this stuff has just been super crazy on all sides. But right now, at the moment of my recording uh, this message today, one of my most beloved relatives, somebody I love dearly, is uh, fighting to survive in the hospital, having been diagnosed with COVID at this very moment. This is serious. And so if there's anything that we can do as Jesus followers to try to re-knit shattered trust and get the best information possible into the hands of folk all up and down the analogical spectrum, uh, then that's what we want to do. And I think that God has uniquely shaped us to do that. So wherever you are in the world, I want to encourage you, point to your camera or your phone, write at the QR code right here. Make sure you're registered. Uh, experience this event for yourself. Uh, and then I pray that God will bless you as you move forward with the information. All right. Now, guys, listen, I'm super excited about this fourth week of teaching, uh, winning the battle in your mind. Today, I want to talk about what it means to reframe my pain. And we want to join with the Apostle Paul as he's writing a letter to the Christian community in Rome. He's expressing a deep desire and longing and and I want to I want to start here and let's see where that that whole thing ends up at. So Romans 15, verse 23. Here's what Paul writes. But now I have finished my work in these regions. And after all these long years of waiting, I'm eager, Paul says, to visit you there in Rome. He's referring to. But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. There is the reading. Now, a few weeks ago, I told you that uh, contemporary science says that the average person contends with 500 uninvited, intrusive thoughts every day of our lives. I'm sure that that number is exponentially larger, given what all of us are living through in the terms of this pandemic. And so we're all engaged with the battle uh, in our minds. And so if I had to summarize the first week's teaching, I would simply use one word, replace. Because in that teaching, I told you that the way the brain has been structured, uh, that it's possible for uh, trauma and pain and all of that to cause the brain to send false messages. It's possible for the enemy to whisper lies into our psyche and and for us to begin to believe those lies. But the, the, the task is to identify what's a false message, what is a lie, and replace it with the truth that we find in God's word and declare daily what God says about your life and who God says he's called you to be. 
The second week uh, of teaching could be summarized by also one word, rewire. The plasticity that God has built into our brain makes it possible for us to continue to grow and learn. But that same plasticity, when, 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 when uh, 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 finding itself under the force of trauma and tragedy and all the different ways that life is broken, can also become a stumbling block. You know, we talk about these neurological uh, pathways that are created in our brains. A few weeks ago, I called them trenches that fill up with uh, false messages and, and urges and cravings and things of that sort that make us feel like we need X or we need Z that locks us into obsessive behavior and addictive uh, patterns and cycles of shame and guilt and fear and anxiety and depression and all that kind of stuff, right? But here's what God's word says. I love what Paul wrote to the Christians in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. It was his prayer. And this is my prayer for all of you as we work through this series. Here's what he says. He says, I pray that you will understand. Watch these two words. The incredible greatness of God's power that is for us who believe. You see those two words? The incredible greatness of God's power that is for us who believe. He, think, he goes on to say, it is the same mighty power. Can somebody say mighty power? The same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him in a place of honor. And, and the insight of that prayer that Paul prays is that, is that God, that mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him in a place of honor is the power that is available and accessible to us through our faith that can raise us from a place of dead defeat when it comes to all of the thoughts that are, that are pounding us on a day-to-day basis and raise us from a place of shame and defeat to a place of honor. And it's all about understanding how the brain works and how faith can help us to rewire the brain. And then last week, my dear friend, Pastor Tony Williams, came and he really modeled for us what this looks like in his own life story. As he talked about for the last four years, botched surgeries and medical procedures that left him um, dependent on a, a feeding tube, caused him to retire early. And yet for him, I think if I had to summarize his teaching to us last week, I'd use the one word resolve. That basically he says that sometimes you've got to grit your teeth. Sometimes you've got to, you've got to just determine in your soul that, that, that you're not going to allow what you don't understand about the mystery of your challenges and your circumstances to cause you to let go of what you know about God. And that is that you know that God is for you and not against you, that you know that God loves you and that his love will outlast whatever challenge that you're going through and actually will bring you through the challenge. And he stood before us last week as, a, as, a, as an example of that resolve, now physically able to preach, starting to eat a little bit more physically without, the, in addition to the tube, having meetings across the city. And he would declare to you that God is faithful. Today, if I had to summarize our teaching today, I'd simply use one word for this summary today, which is reframe. Can somebody shout reframe? When I say reframe, uh, I'm specifically today talking about what it looks like to begin to reframe the pain of your past. Now, can somebody just shout reframe? Yeah, reframe. 
Another word for reframe is to uh, reinterpret. I'm talking about revisiting the story that surrounds your pain. I'm, 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 I'm talking about reinterpreting the narrative uh, that, that, you, that you tell when you think about yesterday's traumas and yesterday's pain. Because so much uh, of the challenges that we are facing today in our minds come from yesterday's trouble and pains and traumas. And so how we interpret what happened yesterday and what we saw yesterday has everything to do with our capacity today, our ability to access the the power of faith, to experience the mighty power of God moving in our lives. Now, here's the scientific insight I want you to get. You will see what you look for. That's right. The way the brain has been shaped, we tend to see whatever it is that we're looking for. That's why I'm sure all of us know that person who tend to always be negative, tends to always be critical. That despite whatever success may be happening, they will point at the one small area of lack or failure. Uh, Not because they're bad people, but because the brokenness of life has trained their brain to look for the bad, for the negative, for the critical. You know, uh, Pastor Craig Cushell told a story once about two birds. One bird is the vulture. The vulture is known for being focused on finding one thing in life, and that is that which is dead and rotten. More often than not, roadkill. Uh, the story suggests that a vulture can smell a dead carcass a mile away. That sometimes the vultures will fly 30 to 50 miles to find that which is dead and decaying. It looks for the dead and the decaying. But put beside the vulture, the small hummingbird flaps its wings 20 times per second. What does that bird look for? Oh, it always finds the flower and the places that produce, produces the nectar in life. It looks for the nectar. Now, I'm sure that the hummingbird is aware of the roadkill, but it looks for the nectar. That is the lesson of faith that I want to teach you today, how, how faith can be at work, uh, can help to reshape our brains so that we're not looking for roadkill. We see the roadkill. We see the tragedy. We see the trauma. We, we, we are aware. We acknowledge the suffering. We don't pretend that it's not happening, but we're looking for the nectar. Yeah, for the places where God continues to be at work in our story. Well, that is the lesson that Paul wants to teach us today as we think about what does it look like to reframe the pain of my past so that I can be empowered in a fresh way in today. And, and so we find Paul here in Romans chapter 15. First of all, he's expressing his longing. I, I, I love this notion of this longing that he expresses. Here's what he says. But now I've finished my work in these regions and after all these long years of waiting and waiting and waiting, I'm eager to visit you. 
He says, I've been waiting for this opportunity. I've been working for this opportunity. Just when I thought it was going to happen, God would usually close the door or something would happen. But now the opportunity is right in front of me. You know, he sounds like that person who's, who's been waiting to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And finally, you think that you have found them and, and, and you're dreaming about the wedding that you're going to have. Potentially, you're the person who, who've been waiting for that opportunity to buy a brand new home. And, and now it looks like that home is possible. And then life circumstances, unexpected circumstances happen. Notice what he talks about in terms of his plan. Here's what he says about his plan. He says, Paul says, I'm planning to go to Spain. And when I do, I'm going to stop by Rome. I'm going to visit all the house churches there. Guys, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. But first, he says, I got to go to Jerusalem because I've raised an offering for the suffering Christians there in, the, in Jerusalem. And I've got to drop that off to support their needs. Now, here's what's unique. When he gets to Jerusalem, unexpected circumstances overtakes his life. He's unable to do anything about it. You know, <laughs> this is the person who is who is ready uh, to, to marry your Mr. Wright. I'm thinking about in the early days when I returned here to pastor in the Bay Area. There's a couple that had just gotten married. I think it was the day of their wedding. And they were coming back from the wedding and pulled over on the side of the road because somebody was in need. And so they pulled over and the husband was going to get out and try to help the guy and when he got out, the husband was hit by a truck and was killed. Life circumstance overtook. They had waited and waited and waited. And just when they thought they had a Jerusalem experience. Yeah. yeah. Just when you thought you could buy the house, you lose your job. You have a Jerusalem experience. Just when you think that child that you've been praying for and praying for is about to turn around, you have a Jerusalem experience and she, he ends up in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Jerusalem experience. That, that was Paul's situation. When he got to Jerusalem, unexpectedly, he was arrested, put in chain. He ultimately ended up in Rome. He got to Rome, but he ended up there in a prison cell chained to soldiers, facing an unexpected future wherein he, he faced the prospects of being put to death. And suddenly he lands in the city where he's been longing to arrive, but he lands in the midst of uncontrollable circumstances and suffering. So the next time we hear from Paul, he's talking about what's happening. He's talking about the context of his pain. And this is where he teaches us about how to reframe, how to reinterpret. Now, listen, when I say reinterpret the pain of your yesterdays, which I'm primarily focused on, uh, but it also applies to our today's. I'll talk more about that next week. I'm not talking about making up something. I'm not talking about pretending. I'm talking about expanding the lens through which you look at life and seeing what others don't see. And I'm talking about how the discipline of faith, come on now, uh, helps to shape the brain to look for the nectar even while you're walking past the roadkill. Hear what Paul says now as he writes from a Roman prison and he writes the believers 
in the city of Philippi about his circumstances and he describes it this way. Somebody shout reframe. Somebody shout reinterpret. Seeing what others don't see. Remember, you tend to see what you look for. Here's what Paul saw. He says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything, shout everything. <laughs> look at this note. Everything, the good and the bad, the suffering and the, and, 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 the, and the possibility, everything that has happened to me, being put in chain, being put in prison, everything that has happened to me, here it comes, here in Rome, has helped to spread the good news. And what Paul is saying is that because of how he landed in Rome, there's a buzz that's happening across the city of Rome. Those house churches that were meeting with small Christian communities have now become large Christian communities because the word has got out about this fellow, this apostle Paul, who is now willing to die because of his conviction of who Jesus Christ is, the one crucified and raised from the dead and who's living. And people are showing up these house churches trying to figure out, tell us more about this Jesus. Come on now. The buzz was, was overtaking the city and Paul could see among the roadkills nectar of God's activity at work. And then he goes on and he says this. Watch what he says. For everyone, he's, 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 he's expanding his lens. He's showing you what he's seeing. Remember, you see what you look for. He's showing you because faith has shaped his brain to see what others would easily miss. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chain because of Christ. Notice the palace guard that he talks about. These are the folk he was under. Uh, high security, these, these uh, uh, very sophisticated, high-ranking guards connected to the palace, which meant they had access to Caesar and to Caesar's family. They would, they would run shifts, eight-hour shifts, guarding Paul. One would be chained to the right, the other would be chained to the left. And um, uh, one would be chained here and the other one here to his feet. Two would be posted at the door and there and every eight hours they would change they would sh change shifts first glance it would look like Paul is chained to them second glance we learned that they were chained to Paul <laughs> see for eight hours Paul got to tell them about his 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 early life and his philosophical background, his intellectual awareness, all of his achievements and how that in some way stood in the way of him believing that Jesus who died on the cross could be raised from the dead, could be the son of God. But then how he encountered him personally for eight hours, he got to talk to them about the shipwrecks and the stonings and, and how the power of God rescued him for eight hours. He got to inquire about the experiences that were happening in their lives and, and help them to begin to see the, the hand of God's grace that was at work in their lives and connected to the resurrected Savior that they knew nothing about him. And, and every time a shift would change, come on now, he got eight more hours. And after a while, his teaching, his story began to drift into Caesar's house. 
into his family. And the gospel was being promoted and proclaimed and preached. And so Paul says, yes, I'm suffering. Paul says, yes, this stinks that I'm here in prison. Paul says, this is a set of circumstances that I didn't want. And I don't like these circumstances, but I, in the midst of the roadkill, I, I see the nectar of God's work power at work and as a matter of fact his power his story the gospel is being elevated in a way that it never could have been elevated had I just showed up here and just preached to some of the house churches here in Rome God be praised I see his hand of grace at work wow so here's the insight guys check this out amid life's accidents and incidents Look for, remember, you see what you look for. Look for God's providence, God's hand. Here's a quilt, picture of a quilt. And I grew up surrounded by people who, these amazing elderly ladies who knew how to, how to, how to make quilts. And, and I often would have a quilt on my bed that was made by, by some of the elder women of our church. And I was always fascinated about these quilts because... Because what these ladies would do, they would take pieces of hopelessness and with a, what I call an invisible thread, they would knit them together. They would take a, an old mismatched socks where you couldn't find you were going to throw the sock away. No, 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 we're going to hold that. You actually, you can see a sock here, right? <laughs> They'd take uh, old holy T-shirts and, 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 and pants uh, that you're going to, throw away and, 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 and stuff that we used to call rags that, that was no longer useful. And, and, and they would take it and put it together and they would take that thread and knit it and knit it. And that that had no meaning on its own because of the knitting of the thread would suddenly discover meaning. That which had no purpose by itself. Come on now, roadkill. But because of the nectar working its way, knitting it together would suddenly discover new purpose. And rather than the sock being thrown away or that old holy shirt being thrown away, it's now part of a beautiful uh, 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 tapestry, if you will, this, this embroidered blanket. And it lays upon a vulnerable little kid keeping him warm in a cold world. Come on now. That's what Paul says that he saw amidst the roadkill of his suffering that the, the, the remarkable hand of God's grace. It, you see what you're looking, what you look for. So it, here's what I want you to remember. It's time for you to reframe the pain of your past so you can discover power for the future. And the first thing you need to do when you get ready to reframe your pain is look for God's conquering grace. Now, here's what I mean. That wherever God's grace is, it's conquering. <laughs> see, 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 the thread conquered the meaningless of those separate and desperate pieces and transform them into a, into a shared purpose, God's conquering grace, <laughs> the quilt. I think about my own life and I think about God's conquering grace. If you've been around for a while, you know, every now and then I'll just tell my story of, uh, of, of, of being a kid who was six months old 
born fourth child into a house that was exploding with drama and trauma, family divorce. I broke out with infantile rice. The doctor diagnosed the correction, but correctly, but correctly, but gave me a prescription that I was allergic to and created chemical burns. The story, I want to tell it about how I ended up in Cachata, special needs kid, and so forth and so on. But if you have heard me tell the story, you've heard me tell the reframed story. <laughs> see, I, I didn't always see God's hand of grace among the, the roadkill of my life. I, 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 as a kid, as a matter of fact, as a young kid, I, I, I thought I was ugly, so I acted ugly. I was the kid always being sent to the principal's office. As a kid who was always getting in trouble because I had so much trouble in me. Because when I thought about my life, I always just saw the roadkill. I, I saw the tragedy. I saw the trauma. I saw the unfairness. I saw the suffering. I saw the pain that here I was, a little kid, going through. I just saw the roadkill, guys. But then in the 10th grade, I had a fresh encounter with God's grace and he began to open my eyes and I began to look back and I could see the sweet nectar of God's hand having been at work. He didn't make all that bad stuff happen, but his hand was at work knitting something broader. Come on, reshaping a story out of the meaningless, bringing purpose out of the pain. Y'all ain't listening. And, 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 and because I began to believe that, that, that there was meaning Behind where I landed, I trusted him and he elevated me. And by the time I graduated from high school, my story had shifted from being the kid always getting into trouble. The kid that's risen to the top of the class. I remember this scene. I graduated from high school. I was thinking we already accepted the Grambling State University. And I was looking in the mirror at myself. Back in that day, I, I had my hair, had a, a, a half of an afro, and I tried to get it to grow long because I had a bald spot in the very back of my head, back, back, back of my head. And I would try to cover up that, and the hair would never grow long enough to fully cover it up. Now, why was I trying to cover up that spot? And I had some spots here. For years, I tried to cover it up because that bald spot represented scars that exposed the roadkill in my life. <laughs> the ball spot represented the, uh, the, the fact that uh, my dad disowned me, represented uh, the fact that I was the kid that was the first to be picked on, the last to be picked 14, represented the fact that the girls would run from me, not to me as a kid growing up, represented all of the bad self-esteem stuff that I'd had in the first part of my growing up years, the ball spot. It was a place of shame and defeat. It was a place that would generate those thoughts that used to tell me that I could be nobody, that I would, I would never be anybody, that I would never accomplish anything, that, that I was destined for failure, the ball spot, you see. But by the time I graduated from high school and seeing the power of God unleashed in my life and seeing how he had turned my story around and now I was on my way to college, I, I made the decision not to try to cover the bald spot. Watch this. Come on, I'm talking about conquering grace now. But I just shaved my head. This was long before... Everybody was shaving their head. I, I was a pioneer, guys. <laughs> I, I, I shaved my head. Uh, and it was, it was, the, it was the, the act 
that declared, y'all ain't listen, that God's grace had conquered my shame. <laughs> that God's grace had conquered my sense of failure. And that I could rebuke those thoughts that said I would never be anybody because God's grace had revealed to me who I was. And before I was in my mother's womb, he had a, a work for me to do in his will. And he had elevated my thinking. And with eyes of faith, I could see God's purpose working through my life. Yeah. Reinterpret my story. I found conquering grace. When you get ready to reinterpret your pain of your past, look for the grace. And wherever you find the grace of God, there's the work of conquering taking place. Your story is being transformed. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Your story is being transformed. And you can reject the lies and stand in the truth. Here's the last thing I want you to look for. I want you to look for what I want to call unexpected collateral goodness. And we talk about collateral damage. When I think about my story, there's a lot of collateral damage. When I showed up as a six-month-old baby, my parents were in the height of high drama and trauma, hurting one another. I was collateral, collateral damage. The doctor misjudgment about the prescription, I was collateral damage. Uh, my, my nearly landing in a foster home ultimately landing in Cachetta, Louisiana, in special education, all that collateral damage of, of the brokenness of life. But then as I flipped it over and looked back through the eyes of faith, I saw that on the flip side of the collateral damage was collateral goodness. <laughs> let me let me let me give you just one example, one example, one example. My my granduncle had Married my grand aunt. She was the second marriage. The first marriage was was a part of his life before Jesus, and all kinds of pain there. And so he was disconnected from the one daughter that came to that union. And here he was now aging, and no no sense of a child in his life. My grand aunt, who loved kids, had been told by a doctor, "You will never be able to give birth to your kids. You won't have any kids." When they heard about this sick kid, collateral damage, that was going through what I was going through here in San Francisco, collateral damage. Out of the grace and generosity of their heart, they said, if you can get him to us, we will keep him. They did not know that God was going was to take my collateral damage and turn it into their collateral goodness. Come on. They did not know that a few years later, my biological mom would make the decision to let them keep me and raise me, which, by the way, would save my life because had I grown up scarred in San Francisco and all the trouble I got into because I wouldn't be here to preach to you today. Come on, collateral damage. But on the other side of the damage comes collateral goodness. So I just want to challenge you as I bring this message to a close. You want to start reinterpreting the, the pain of your past. You want, to, you want to start to reinterpret the challenges that you're facing now so that you can push back on those false messages and hear what God has to say about you. Look amidst the roadkill for the nectar of God's activity, his conquering grace. Look amidst the broken circumstances of collateral damage, look for the collateral goodness of God. 
And when you see the grace, when you see the goodness, it automatically begins to reinterpret your story of pain and give you a fresh view of who you are and who God has called you to be. Yeah, let faith train your mind. Because remember, you actually see what you look for. Amen. Okay, guys, don't just listen. It's time to respond. So take your phone and point it towards the QR code right here on the screen. It'll take you to the next step section of our connection card. And if you fill out this section, if you respond, we've got some people waiting to call you, especially for those who are ready to make a commitment to Jesus. And that's my first challenge. Uh, There's a list of opportunities for you on that card under Next Steps with Jesus. And for somebody, you need to surrender your destiny to Jesus. He's already been at work. There's, There's incredible conquering grace and collateral goodness all around. Now it's time for you to trust him. Now, under the response to the message, I want to invite all of you to take a picture of this prayer. And I encourage you to be praying it throughout the week. Here it is. God, empower me to look for and see your conquering grace and collateral goodness in my life. And then uh, take a picture of this reflection question. Think about it. Engage it. What incident of past pain will you reframe by looking for God's conquering grace and collateral goodness?